Okay, so um, we have come, believe it or not, to our final session in our Transformed Life series based on Ephesians 1 to 3, the first half of Ephesians, which is basically the Apostle Paul laying out clear doctrine, clear teaching on how being a follower of Jesus changes everything. It completely and totally transforms our lives. And we're wanting this ongoing transformation, aren't we? I'm just going to pray for us as we sort of get into this final uh, chapter, chapter 3, and uh, just pray in Jesus' name that we will continue to be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the truth of your word. Come, Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue to mold us and shape us for your glory. Lord, we we just thank you for your love. Thank you for reminding us time and time again, even this morning, that you are for us, that your love is perfect, and that we have wonderful, wonderful security in the truth and the power of your love. Amen. Amen. Um, In fact, it's great when our worship ties in so well with what we're going to be looking at in our words. So, um, just really grateful for the Holy Spirit already kind of priming us in that way. But as I said, this, this first part of Ephesians that we've been looking at, it's Paul laying down the doctrine. Paul's heart is for us to really grasp the truth that our old lives have been crucified with Christ, that we're no longer slaves to sin, that we are saints that we have been seated in heavenly places. This is our new identity. We've been given a fresh start in life. We have a new purpose, a new place to belong. And Paul's heart is for the church really to be totally clear on this identity, who they are in Christ, what Jesus has already done for us, before he moves on to the next part, Ephesians uh, 4 onwards, to basically urge us, as he starts in chapter 4, to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. So in other words, before we can walk, we need to be clear on the truth. And, And I think you'll find as you read through Paul's letters, he often does this. He starts by laying down the truth. He lays down clear doctrine. This is who you are in Christ. This is what Jesus has already done for you. Therefore, in the light of all that, this is how you should therefore live out that calling. Because this transformed life is actually an ongoing process. You know, there's that well-used phrase, Uh, constant change is here to stay, isn't there? And I think that is so apt when we talk about the Christian life. Because this side of eternity, God's heart for you and for me is to continually grow in our knowledge of Him, of His love for us, and all that that means for us as individuals, for us as a church, and actually what it means for our communities as well. As we grow in this, it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 
We who with unveiled faces, because we've had the truth revealed to us, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being changed. It's that continuous, present tense, are being changed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit, who is the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Your spiritual growth, this ongoing transformation, will cause you to reflect the glory of God to the world around us. This should be the expectation of every believer, of every follower of Jesus. I am going to increasingly reflect the glory of God to the community, to the people, to my spheres of influence around me. It's vital that we grasp this. Constant change is, is here to stay. You know, we've, we've just um, heard the news that our eldest, Emily, has got into the secondary school of her choice, which is awesome. It's a big relief for, for Claire and me. But it, it really made me think of where on earth have the years gone? Where have they gone? Secondary school for our baby. You know, it only seems like the other day we were kind of nervously waving her off to nursery, preschool actually, and then just to, to see her now looking at secondary school, thinking about moving up to youth soon. Where have the years gone, flown by? You know, the thing is though, growing up is part of life, maturing is part of life. It's just, it's just something that we expect. It's something that we plan for. You know, we expect our kids to grow up. There's something wrong if they don't. And the same should be true for our spiritual life as well. We should be expecting to grow in our faith, to grow in our giftings, to grow in the intimacy of our relationship with God. The thing is, this spiritual life, this, this ongoing transformation, isn't something we can just do on our own. In fact, it's impossible to do it on our own. It just doesn't happen automatically, but can only be accomplished through the ongoing power of God at work in our lives. An ongoing power, which, as we've just read, comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, so before Paul launches into this next block of Ephesians, this next section on how to live out this transformed life, he prays. He prays that we may be strengthened with God's power. Who needs strengthening here this morning? Who needs God's power this morning? For honest, we all do. We all need God's power at work in our lives. You know, to live out the wonderful truth that we've been singing about. Who we are in Christ. We need God's power to live in the good of that. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Paul's prayer this morning. If you've got your Bibles, do turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 14 to 21. Hopefully it will come up. There we go. And, you know, there, there are many incredible prayers in the Bible. I think this is perhaps one of my favorite, certainly one that uh, I end up going to and regularly praying through. Let's read it. For this reason, 
In other words, in the light of of all this truth that Paul's been unpacking for us, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, we've been talking about being rooted, haven't we, even this morning, be rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure and of all the fullness of God. I love that phrase. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I mean... An amazing prayer, isn't it? This week, why don't you give yourselves to praying that prayer over yourself, over your family, over your friends? Why don't you give yourself to praying that over your unsaved friends, that they too might come to a a knowledge that they'll come to know how deep the Father's love is for them. Take this prayer, use it, pray over yourself and your friends, your family. It's a wonderful prayer. And you know, as, as Kieran reminded us last week, Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians whilst being chained up in prison. And yet his heart, his focus, his prayer is for the church to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. You know, I find that quite challenging. It's very selfless, isn't it? Incredibly selfless. And what that says to me is that, you know, you may not be in a good situation at the moment. You may not be in a good place at the moment. But you know what? God can still use you to encourage and strengthen and pray for others. You know, and I believe as, as you do that, because I've experienced it myself, God will strengthen and empower you as you do that. So, let's look at this prayer. Just this morning, just aware of time, I want to draw out just two key ways in which God strengthens us with power through His Holy Spirit. You know, firstly, Paul prays. I think that's very significant. Paul prays. Paul prays for what? For power. Paul prays for power through his spirit in your inner being. You know, prayer is is often described as the means by which God has ordained for us to take possession of that which he has already provided for us. In Christ Jesus. I'll read that again. Prayer is the means by which God has ordained for us to take possession of what He has already provided for us 
in Christ Jesus. In other words, prayer releases the resources of heaven into our different situations. Prayer is absolutely vital. You know, and Paul is clear. Look, look, the only way we can live out this transformed life is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We often say it up front at this church is, is that, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra for the follower of Christ. It's an absolute vital necessity. We need to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We need to. You know, every, every Christian is born of the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of God indwelling in us, but we need to live in the fullness of that Spirit. When we are full of the Spirit, that's when in Galatians 5, it says we are transformed from the inside out. What's happening on the inside starts to be seen on the outside as we start bearing this spiritual fruit. People notice. We notice. When we're full of the Spirit, if you remember, we read in Ephesians 1, it's the way we get to know God better. When we're full of the Spirit, we have a renewed sense of intimacy with God, a depth in our relationship. As you read through Acts, you see that being filled with the Spirit gives us a boldness and a courage to, to witness. And now we're reading here in Ephesians 3 that when we are filled with the Spirit, we will know an inner strength and an inner power. You know, time and time again, when you read through Acts and uh, read through the, the description of the early church, we see that they're being filled again and again, empowered again and again by the Spirit of God. We just need to look at Jesus' model. You know, straight after his baptism, Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and he's led by the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted. And then he comes out of the wilderness, described as in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to stand up for righteousness and justice, to give us the power to say no to unrighteousness to defeat temptations and sin. Gives us the power to to heal the sick. Gives us the power to speak words of truth and encouragement into people's situations. Words of knowledge that will just really help unlock people. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Gives us the power just to take the next step. Sometimes we just need that power to take the next step. This ongoing transformation that we're talking about requires an ongoing filling and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be praying for people at the end of this this morning. I'd love to pray for people just to be filled again with God's Spirit, to know this inner strength for your situation. You know, it's actually something we can and should pray regularly for, for each other. For our friends and our families, you know, I've already encouraged you to pray Paul's prayer over you. But, but also just pray 
that you're filled with his Holy Spirit regularly. I mean, parents, can I encourage you? Pray with your children. Worship together with your family. Do you have times of worship as a family? If, if you're in a flat share or if you work with Christians, carve out time in a lunch hour or something. Pray for one another to be filled and strengthened again. You know, basically what happens here on a Sunday morning, it should be the overflow of what's already been going on in the week. We need this inner strengthening of the Holy Spirit, not just as a, as a, a theory, oh yeah, it's something we read about, but actually a daily reality in our lives. You know, Paul's moving from doctrine to experience now, saying this isn't something you read about, this is something you know, you experience in your life. Secondly, and I just feel, just want to focus a little bit more on this second one, particularly in the light of what God's been speaking to us this morning about his love. It's so critical. Paul goes on to pray, being rooted and established in love, we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul is keen for us to have a clear understanding of the power of God's love in our lives. You know, there is power in the love of God, power to transform us from the inside out. And I know we often talk about God's love. You know, we say, well, I know God, God loves me. Because the Bible tells me so. It's a bit like that kid's song we used to sing. But, but what Paul is encouraging us here is to go way deeper, beyond just a, a head knowledge of God's love, and into a deeper and deeper experience of this love. You know, on the surface, it, it can seem a bit like a paradox, can't it? How can we know a love that surpasses knowledge. Kind of doesn't really make sense, does it? How can we know something that is unknowable? You know, something so vast. It, again, it just strikes me as we've been singing about it this morning. God's love is incredible. So vast, so utterly incomprehensible. Incomprehensible, can hardly say the word. How can he love us? How can he love me? And yet he does. And I know it because I can experience it. Did you experience God's love this morning as we were worshiping? Did you experience it for yourself? Again, I'd love, if, you know, if you'd like a more of that experience of God's love, we'd love to pray for you. How do we get our heads around it? And I think the truth is we can't simply grasp it with, with mere information. We don't just grow in the knowledge of God's love by reading about it. It comes by revelation, by revelation from the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts. Not just information into our heads. God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit that God has given us. You know, so perhaps it's not so much getting our heads around the truth of God's love. It's more about getting our hearts 
around the truth of God's love and experiencing it firsthand. You know, a love so deep that it can reach the most fallen person. We spoke about that, didn't we, when we talked about the river of God. Water always flows to the lowest point. And Paul could testify of that. He describes himself as the worst of all sinners, and yet here he is testifying to the love of God. It's a love so deep, it reaches the most fallen person. No one is beyond the love of God. It's a love so wide that it will always catch us however far off we wander. It's so wide. We can never wander too far away from God's love. It's so wide, it encompasses every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. So wide. So high that it lifts our gaze out of our circumstances. It's a love that lifted us out of that pit, that miry clay, as some translations say, and seats us in heavenly places. It's a love so high that nothing can come between us and the love of God. Nothing can separate us from it. It's so high. It's a love so long, so long it will last for eternity. We will never run out of God's love. God's love was there before the beginning of time. It will be there for eternity. Do you know this love personally as a living reality in your lives? Do you know it daily? Paul is desperate for us to grasp this revelation that everything that we are And everything we actually are called to do, it's all rooted and established in the love of God. In the love the Father has for his children. I mean, those are two key words, rooted and established. You know, we are rooted deeper than the mightiest oak tree. We, We are established stronger and firmer than the foundations of the tallest skyscraper. I don't know if you've ever seen these things being built. Those foundations go deep, deep, deep down. Why? Because they want to build high, really, really high. And yet, as we found out in recent storms, Storm Doris, she found out wonderful names, aren't they? I found there's a Storm Steve, and there's a Storm Phil. It's actually a Storm Barney as well. Bizarre, but anyway, these are all UK storms. But as we found out with these storms, even the mightiest oak trees can fall. Even tall buildings can collapse. But God's love will never fail. God's love will never fail you, ever. In his book that we're following, Dave Smith's book, he says this, information will challenge the way you think think, but revelation will challenge the way you live. We need to pray for a fresh revelation of God's love because it's a love that will transform us from the inside out. So in the time we've got left, very quickly, I promise, four ways God's love transforms us. Firstly, when we know 
we are loved, it means we have nothing to prove. How freeing is that? I've got nothing to prove. God loves me. You know, in a world where we exist, it seems to be, striving to prove ourselves, striving to earn, to succeed, to achieve. How freeing it is to know that actually you cannot earn God's love. You cannot achieve his approval any more than he already does approve of you. You cannot buy it. You simply have to receive it. You simply have to receive it. How freeing is that? There is nothing you can do. We've got a a new CD in the car, and one of the choruses is this phrase that is quite well known. You know, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more than he already does. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less than he does. He is love. He can't help but love you. How liberating. I mean, I often say to my kids when they've been misbehaving, often say to my kids, you know, I, I am, I'm really disappointed in your behavior. Uh, in fact, I don't approve of it at all. But that doesn't change how much I love you. It doesn't change one iota how much I love you. You know, and and we earthly fathers are at best very pale imitations of our true and perfect Father in heaven. You know, he's the blueprint. You know, at the start of this passage, Paul says he kneels before the Father. He's not saying God is like a Father. Let's think of him like a Father. No, he is the Father. He is the blueprint to which we are just very pale imitations of. His love is absolutely perfect. His love is always secure. How freeing, how liberating the love of the Father is. I've got nothing to prove. God loves me. God loves me. You know, we were talking about serving last week. You know what? We don't serve for God's approval. We don't serve to get brownie points, to climb up the little ladder. No, God's already seated us in heavenly places. We serve from a place of approval, not for. How wonderfully freeing. We need to get hold of this. Because as I said, we live in a world that is striving for love and approval. Striving to be accepted. Have I been liked or unfriended? You know, we can know this life changing love that is eternal. The thing is, far from this love leading to apathy, well, I just don't have to do anything then. No, actually, it's the love that motivates us. God's love is a wonderful motivator. If you've ever been in love, you are motivated to express that love in service and action, aren't you? There's a a Christian philosopher, Dallas Willard. You might have heard of him. I think he died a few years ago, 2013, I think. He, He once said this, Grace, this undeserved favor of God, this wonderful love and favor that we experience is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. 
It's opposed to earning. We don't have to earn it. But actually, it's a love that motivates us into action. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, it's God's love that compels him to to be the best ambassador for Christ that he can be. It's a wonderful motivation. You know, we still have dreams. We still have passions. We still have goals. It's just that our identity and our sense of value and self-worth is not found in our successes or even in our failures for that matter. But it's secure. It's found in the one who loves us eternally. That is where our identity and our approval lies. Uh, lies. God's love frees us from this approval trap. God's love frees us from this approval tra- trap. Secondly, God's love helps us face the struggles of life. You know, when you're going through difficult times, painful times, we can be tempted to doubt God's love for us. God, are you there for me? Do you really care for me? How can you allow this to happen? The thing is, it's exactly at those times that we need to pray for a fresh revelation of God's love for us. You know, people may have let you down. God will never let you down. Circumstances and plans may have fallen through. You might have felt the rug being pulled from under your feet. But you know what? God is the only one who will remain faithful to you. He is still at work in your life. He is still, often in the unseen realm, working for your good. Plans to prosper, to give you a hope and a future. He remains faithful. You know, when we get a greater grasp of this central transforming truth that God loves me, that he is still for me. You know, as Rob was exhorting us this morning, he is still for me. He is still working things out for my good. When we get a grasp on that truth, it enables us to face any storm. We need to pray for revelation of his love, particularly in those testing times. Thirdly, God's love means we can truly love others. It's very easy to love lovely people, isn't it? I find it very easy to love lovely people. It's not a big, not a big deal. But you know what? This love that God calls us to is a sacrificial love. It's a love that hurts sometimes. It's a love that costs sometimes. It's a love that tests us to the limit at times. You know, we, we've only got one word in the English language for love. There were several in the Greek, which the New Testament is mainly written in. They, they've got the word eros which is to do with the, uh, the affectionate, romantic sort of love. You have philia, which is more to do with friendship, brotherly love. And then you have agape. And this is the love that goes beyond feelings and emotion and expresses itself to the point of sacrifice. This is a love that you commit to. This is a love that you choose to display. 
This is the word agape that Paul uses in our passage today. And this is the love that Jesus displayed on the cross when he died for our sins. It's this agape love that we've been celebrating with communion this morning. For God so loved the world. This agape love. How did he express this love? That he gave sacrificially his one and only son. John 3.16. Such a well-known verse. Don't let its familiarity take away from the powerful impact of God's love for you. You know, as the Holy Spirit pours this fresh revelation of this agape love into our hearts, so we can pour it out, we can pour it out to others. I believe there may be people here, even this morning, and God is asking you to be generous in your love to someone. Just pray right now, Holy Spirit, will you just bring a revelation? If there's someone specific, we need to be generous in that sacrificial love. Give us the the courage to do that. You know, you may not even think this person deserves, deserves the time of day. The truth is neither did we when God sent Jesus to the cross for us. While we were still sinners, he went to the cross for you and for me. And he calls us to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 1 John 3.16. God's love means we can truly love others. Fourthly and finally, God's love gives us hope. You know, I just felt this morning as we were worshiping, just that sense that God wants us to enjoy his love. He wants us to revel in the freedom we've been talking about. He wants us to, like excited children when when their parents come back from being away, they just want to jump into their arms. God wants you to enjoy his love. It's a love that gives us hope. It's a love that we've been saying changes everything. It transforms us. It's a love that gives us purpose. It's a love that gets us out of bed in the morning. You know, if you you don't have a reason to get out of bed this morning, you actually do. God loves me, and I want to worship him in everything that I do. It's a love that gives us hope. And we've been talking a lot about hope recently over Christmas and uh, at other times. And we've, looked, and we've basically said that biblical hope is totally different from the way we use hope in our culture today. It's a certain hope. There isn't a trace of doubt about it. We have a certain hope that we have been forgiven. We have a certain hope that we have been accepted by God. We have a certain hope that he is for us, that he has a plan and a purpose for us. It's a hope that should raise our expectations of what God wants and and will accomplish in us and through us. It's a hope that never disappoints, the Bible says. It's a hope that enables us to pray with Paul to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. Let's raise our expectations 
Do you actually believe that? So we said we've got a prayer meeting tonight. Let's come with expectation to the God of the immeasurably more. It might be good for us to pray into that tonight. Let's pray to the God of the immeasurably more. God, expand our vision. Expand our expectations. God wants to blow our minds with what he wants to accomplish. He is the God of the immeasurably more. You know, when we hear headlines of the so-called decline of the church, it can, can make us lose hope sometimes. And yet, I don't know if you caught that interview with, with Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, last month. He said this. He said he was talking about this bizarre and incredible move of the Spirit that is happening in our country, in our nation. He said it's not a C of E thing, it's a God thing. When the Spirit is blowing, hoist the sails. Don't mess with it. Don't control it. Go with the wind. This is the head of the Church of England. Isn't that exciting? We can know a certain hope that God is building his church. And he is. He is adding to it and adding to it in incredible increasing measure. That's why Paul can pray with confidence to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. When? In his day? No. Throughout all generations and forever and ever. What a hope, what a certain hope that God has and we should have and Paul has for his church. From generation to generation, the church will bring glory to God. Doesn't that give you hope? We have our part to play in our generation, in our time to bring glory to God. What a privilege. You know, let's raise our expectations. God's love gives us hope. What an incredible God. You know, it's ultimately God's love that transforms us, that motivates us, that ignites a love for others, even the unlovely. Because guess what? We were unlovely as well. In church, we can know a confidence in this love. We are rooted and established in this love. And we can know a strength and a power that is available to us in every circumstance of life. Maybe if the band could come back, I'd like us just to sing a song, one song of worship to God, almost as a response to the love that we've been celebrating and talking about this morning. You know, God wants us to fill us to the measure of all the fullness of God. He wants to fill us with His Spirit this morning. He wants to, to fill you with His power this morning. He wants to fill you with His love this morning. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? Why don't we just stand to our feet? Maybe what we can do is just read out these last two verses. If I think yep, we got them up there, brilliant. Why don't we read these last two verses out together as a church, united in this sense of glorifying God for His incredible 
wonderful love for us. Let's read this out together and then we'll just worship him. As I said, we'll then have a time of prayer. Let's read this out together. Ready? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.